Welcome to Career Tools. This week, choosing a company to work for, Chapter 2, Basic Compensation Principles. Here we go. Okay, Wendy, so in the first cast in our series about choosing a company to work for, we talked about the factors to consider when you're looking at companies, thinking about companies, the organizations themselves. Yeah. Now we want to start doing what a lot of people really want us to do, which is talk about compensation. But we're not going to do what most people would suggest, what most people want, which is tell me how to figure out compensation packages. Because before you get to the math, or as you would say, the maths, <laughs> um, we, we really have to help everybody understand how to think about compensation at a little bit higher level. Right before we get down into the pluses and minuses, the 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 thousand here and thousand there, and so on. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody wants to just have a number, or, or people generally just want to have a number. You know, they or you say to somebody, "Hey, um, I heard about this great new job," and they're like, "How much is it paying?" And and how much is it paying is is really not the most important yes. thing. There's a whole bunch of other things which have value, but not you know dollars and cents value that are important. So we're going to start with that. We're going to start with don't just pick a number. Um, then we're going to do what pay, what base pay do you need? And, and the key word there is need. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are the monetary equivalent benefits worth to you? So things that have a value, what are they worth to you? And what are the non-monetary benefits worth to you? Yeah, good. And again, the first things, don't pick a number. Don't just pick a number. And that's probably the thing that most people do, right? Yeah, exactly. They, I mean, they go through the list of jobs on Monster or um, in the newspaper or wherever they're looking, and they'll and they'll sort them by pay, by the amount that that, that you know the company says they're going to pay them, and it's just not that simple. We just had this happen to us at Manager Tools. We were interviewing somebody, and there was a question about uh, expense reporting expenses, which I found bizarre. And in the course of the discussion, um, I said to the person, "Well." Expenses really won't matter if we pay $200,000 a year, right? And the person said, no, not at all. Because at that point, um, if, if in, in this particular case, this person's company was delaying paying their expenses, which is a very unprofessional cash management tactic. Um, and this person wanted to be sure that we wouldn't do that. And the point I made by saying $200,000 is if you get paid $200,000 a year, worrying about your expense report, worrying about whether or not your expenses get paid aren't gonna be that big a deal. There's more float that you can handle. If you're used to making $80,000 a year and suddenly you're making $200,000 a year, you can set aside some cash to handle the float of expense reporting. Me, and the point of this is not about expense reporting versus salary, guys. It's the point of the fungibility of the various benefits and, and, and the number. If, if you pick a number of 100, but there's a job in the perfect location with great upward mobility at 80, and you're making 85 now, and you're not willing to take a small step backwards in return for huge opportunities, working for a boss whom you know is outstanding, whereas at the $100,000 your job, you don't know the boss, that's just really bad analysis, right? Yeah, it's bad, it's bad career planning. And and, and and Wendy starts with don't just pick a number, guys, because the point she's making is the moment you pick that number, that number has a signaling, signaling effect for you, whereas anything below that number immediately gets a negative connotation emotionally in your head. And it's far better to go into your, if you'll pardon the expression, negotiation with the market without a number in your head, but rather thinking a little bit more holistically. And what too many people do is pick the number and that drives almost every other decision. 
Mm -hmm. It literally drives almost every other decision. And we, we have a future cast to put out. This is only the first part of our discussion about compensation in terms of choosing a company to work for. Cost of living analysis. Look, if, if, you're in, if you're in Chicago or if you're in San Francisco or if you're in New York, and I'm just going to use some American ones, American cities as an example because I, I used to do some consulting work to the folks who do cost of living analyses, and you were to have a chance to move to San Antonio, and you had to take a $5,000 cut in pay, let's say you're making $120,000 a year, and you had to take a $5,000 cut in pay to move from New York to San Antonio, you shouldn't care because a $5,000 cut in pay from New York to San Antonio is a $25,000 raise mm -hmm. um, because you can buy a mansion in San Antonio for $250,000. Right. Well, maybe not a mansion, but a really, 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 a really nice, nice house. house. It's su it's surprising too. I mean, uh, we're only like seventy miles outside of San Antonio, but that I can get a three bedroom house in San Antonio for the same price as a two bedroom house where we are now. Yeah, and, and it's seventy miles down the road, let alone moving all yeah. the way across the country. So. Yes, but it is Fredericksburg after all. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, yeah, so so we have to be careful and and don't just pick a number. Says. Hold off on that, guys. The moment you do that, you set up a series of further discussions where that compensation number drives so much um, that you're not going to do what is a good analysis. And you won't even feel it happening because it's just the way people talk about, about compensation. So I'm sorry, Wendy, took us on a little tangent. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. You've explained why we say don't make a number so there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of um kind of scientific reasons yes. as well why, why we don't pick a number so there's there's some science that says that an increase doesn't satisfy us after a couple of months or a couple of six months we always think we're going to be happy when we get to another 20k or another 10k and there's there's a reason that doesn't when we've got it after a while we're happy for for a little while and then we go back to our set level of happiness and it's called hedonistic adaption you think you really want a big tv and after a couple of months it's just the tv you have you just right. you're you adapt to that being your circumstance and and you you go back to your set level of happiness um of which we all have one yeah and and for the americans who are listening as opposed to those who you who have been taught british english we might call that hedonistic adaption oh that's how, that's how we would pronounce that word hedonistic so Okay. Not that you're wrong, just that isn't, isn't diversity wonderful. <laughs> isn't it? Um, and then the second reason that, that money doesn't satisfy us in the way we think it's going to is, is because you don't get $10,000. If somebody gave me $10,000 tomorrow, I'd be like, awesome, now how am I going to spend $10,000, right? And, and that's what we kind of do in our heads. We're like, I'm yes. going to go on holiday, I'm going to pay off my debt, I'm going to do this, I'm going to buy a car. But actually, that $10,000 comes in 12 monthly increments, and they take the tax off it. So by the, by the time you know, you've done that, you're down to 600 a month. And 600 a month is surprisingly easy to, to spend. You know? Probably if we gave it to 100 people, one person would save it. One person would go on vacation or pay off their debt, but most people, it just kind of gets absorbed into your household expenses and you adapt to having that extra money. So if, you, if you're thinking about a new role and you're thinking, okay, I just want a 10% increase on what I'm being paid now, that's not going to make you happy. Right. It, and it shouldn't be the only driver of your decision making. Yeah, we often talk about, we need to expand our, our, our podcasts about managing one's 
finances, even though there are certainly many, many people who are very, very good at it. But in terms of the professional side of that equation, we talk about living on 90% or even 85% of your income. And there's another piece that goes along with that, which professionals suggest that only take 50% of your raise. Um, Mm-hmm. And put the other, and so gradually over time, you end up living on less and less percentage of your income simply because if you try to, if, if you incorporate all of your raise into it, very quickly the hedonistic adaption will go away, will, will take over, and you won't feel like you got a raise six months later. Yeah. Yeah. And probably if, if the rose came, raise came with a promotion, you're working harder. Yeah. And you don't, feel, and like you you don't feel like you're where you got any more money. Yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah. So, so the point here is, is compensation is not simply picking a number 10% higher because you feel like you've been underpaid. And to be clear, folks, we'll do a future cast on what is called salary compression, how growth internally in one company tends to lag the market for because there are two markets, the external market and the internal market. And you're going to feel during times of your career, particularly if you're a younger professional, you're just listening to us early in your career, you're in your 20s, um, you're going to get, the salary compression is going to happen. And when that happens, you're going to discover that other people are making more than you. Uh, and part, that's in part due to the cost of goodwill and so on. We'll get into that later. But if you feel like I'm under, you're underpaid, and there are a lot of people who do, and that's completely acceptable to feel that way, don't just immediately jump into saying, I need a number this much higher. Or I heard my buddy say, she's making this much. And the first rule about that is everybody lies about how much they're being paid. Guys, I'm telling you now, everybody lies about how much they're being paid. And so don't believe them when they say they're making 25% more than you, because probably what they're doing is adding adding benefits on top of it. Oh, my total pay package is X. Or they're paying me this. And what they really mean is my total package is that. And you translate as that's your salary. Wow, you're doing great. And then you pick a higher number, and that, as a signaling effect, mentally in your thought process, drives everything else, and you miss great opportunities. And we can have a whole cast. Wendy, could we not have a whole cast just on the fact that there are times when taking a slight cut in pay is the way better thing to do? Oh, yeah. And I yeah. think that's kind of what we're going to say for the rest of this cast, yeah. too. Yeah, good. Okay, let's talk about base pay. So base pay. So what we want what we're going to recommend that you do is decide what the minimum you can live on is. Not what you need to have the lifestyle that you have, not to have, you know, horse riding lessons and a new TV and a new car every year, but the minimum you could live on. Um, could you go down 10%, 20%, 30% and still be okay, still pay your mortgage, still pay your bills? Um, and the reason we want to go right down to the bottom it's kind of because of that signaling effect. It's like, okay, anything more than that, I'm doing okay. And and that gives you um, a lot of flexibility in the jobs that you'll look for. In terms of how you evaluate the various jobs, right? Exactly. And they might yeah. have benefits which are worth it to you to go down that 10% or 20%, like as you were just saying. Yeah. Um, but if you're not looking at jobs from that number upwards, then you're going to miss a whole bunch in the middle which are between your minimum number and your kind of what you have in your head number you you know pick a number and add 10 percent there's a whole range of things in in between those things that there are opportunities that you're going to miss even considering so that's why we go through that exercise here's the way i see it if we do it this way you delay the compensation 
portion of your analysis to later in the process when it has more validity, right? If you put a number now and you eliminate all kinds of options and you discover that the job that was going to pay you 5% less actually has a chance for a 50% bonus, which is a very unusual in your field, and the company's paid bonus nine out of the last 10 years, you're crazy not to have that in the conversation. Yeah. Um, so this delays compensation simply because for most people, what they will tell you is when they when they talk about what makes a job great or what makes a job poor, it is only at the margins that compensation matters. Now, guys, we know there are places that you can find guidance that says you must negotiate for more salary and you must get 5% more. And because you're establishing a 5% more base and you negotiate 5% more later, at some point you're going to be far outstripping other people. Great. We, we don't disagree with that logic. We disagree with the strategy because most people are terrible at negotiating. Oh my gosh, are most people terrible at negotiating salary? And by the way, folks, you're not negotiating salary. You're just asking for more. But in addition to that, people end up taking the job that pays the most. And the whole key to economic satisfaction can be best summed up by Charles Dickens, who said, I want to say Mr. Micawber said this, but mm -hmm. I could be wrong. He did. He said, annual income, 20 pounds, annual expense, 19-06. Is that right, Wendy? 19-06 is back when there were shillings and yes. so on. 19-06 um, result happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditures, 20 pounds ought six, result misery. Folks, the key to economic, to, to compensation satisfaction, is spending less than you have and having a reserve, right? This is, this is the avoidance of debt. It's the avoidance of risk in your personal life, in your professional life. So, so the idea that getting more money is good is only true if you can still keep your expenses below that. And far too many, I, I know people who are, who consider themselves grossly underpaid at $250,000 a year and they can't make ends meet. Yeah. We, we talk to people all the time who get laid off from a job and, and say, I don't have any, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm living at, at the end of my, at the end of my means, right? I'm, I'm really in struggle. I, I, I need a paycheck. That's not a problem with the paycheck. That's a problem with your expenses. Yeah. And look, we want you to make a lot of money. We would love for everyone who's listening to be able to retire when they're 55. We don't recommend you retire when you're 55 because we want you to continue contributing to the world that we live in in order to make the world a better place. But I know people who can retire when they're 50 who don't make as much as me because they're very frugal. And, and that 60-inch TV that Wendy mentioned, it will not make you happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, happiness is an inside job, folks. It, is not, it does not come in a paycheck. Yeah, and knowing, uh, knowing what your bottom line is helps you assess the non-monetary benefits to you and your family. So if you think of, you couldn't pay me to. So one of the things you could not pay me to is go into London to, to work when I, lived in, when I lived outside London. The thought of really? getting up that early and getting on a tube with a million people and just the travel and the, and the time it would take and the, I just couldn't, I couldn't stand the thought of it. And it, it, it didn't matter to me that the jobs were paying £30,000 uh, £30, more for the same job in London and that, you know, by the time I took my train ticket out, you know, I would be making an extra mm, probably twenty five grand. You could not pay me to do that. 
And so I knew I was losing 25 grand because I wouldn't go into London. And, but, but I knew that I could live on less than that, you know, without that 25 yes. grand. And the benefit for me was my psychological health. And so that's, yeah. that's kind of why we're going to the bottom end so that we can, we can work up from there. Yeah, and and we're not recommending you go that low without other compensating factors, right? Exactly. It, it is, right? We're not suggesting you take a 30,000 or a 30% or a 20% cut and pay, folks. We're not, okay? What we're saying is consider those jobs. And if those jobs don't offer something to offset the income you're losing, of course, don't take them. Mm -hmm. But but when you're doing early in an analytical process, you want to expand the margins as much as possible, build principles in that later in the analytical process, you can tighten things up in order to narrow the funnel down to one. But don't narrow it down to the single most important thing. And if it's the first thing and you say the minimum is X, that's an enormous narrowing effect on the funnel that you're considering. And when the lower end is lower, you can consider a wider range of roles, and that gives you opportunity to consider more benefits, different benefits. Okay, let's talk about, you, you mentioned monetary equivalent benefits. Yeah, okay, so these are the benefits which can be easily valued in terms of dollars and cents. So they, they come in all sorts of flavors from health insurance and pensions to right. free lunches. Um, if, you, if you're on the breadline and, and you need money for food then work at a grocery store and get the staff discount on groceries that might be you know a really good benefit for you that you can reduce your um you can re reduce your grocery cost each week right training courses that you wouldn't be able to afford you you might be able to do that now for a lower wage knowing that it'll pay off later when you when you've got more experience and you've right. got that training course and your, your point is that going to work for a company that has liberal benefits when it comes to providing training or that they have all kinds of online internal training, which I'd be willing to bet no one who is listening to us ever thought early in their career, I, I might want to choose a company that's known for training or that has healthy online training or provides unlimited dollars, in, internal dollars um, for, for training. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'll never forget. I'll never forget at Procter and Gamble. They sent me a list of all the training. I just could not believe it. It was not why I made the decision. And as it turned out, I, I couldn't take advantage of them because I was in the field, and it actually kind of ticked me off that the people at corporate, if you if they didn't take those classes, they were nuts. Right. Um, and gosh, that could make a huge difference. I mean, and and most people don't even think about it. Yeah. So I looked um I looked on on Monster at some jobs in Houston actually. Um, to okay. just see what the kind of benefits were that we're about. And these were for uh, office manager jobs. So the first one I saw had competitive pay, excellent health benefits, 401k retirement plan, employee educational assistance, paid vacation and holidays. So if you, if you want to learn, they've got educational assistance. If you've got no pension, they've got a pension. And if you've got maybe health problems or you anticipate them because of your family history, that'd be a great job even if their their idea of competitive pay was less than your first number. Well, that brings up the point you, you mentioned about health problem due to a family history, for instance, when it comes to health benefits. Um, and of course, the health market is changing enormously and will for the next 20 years. That said, one generally has to make choices about one's economic thing, uh, economic uh, uh, situation when it comes to benefits and so on, based on your present situation. And one of, one of my favorite comments about personal economics is wealth 
is not having what you want. It's freedom from worry. It's knowing that I have insurance that will take care of my family member. If, if you don't have insurance and you're constantly worried about how much money you're making and how much money you're saving in order to have money set aside, you're not gonna be happy. It's just very hard to be happy if someone close to you is at risk and you don't have health insurance. And this is not a recommendation that all companies should have health insurance. It's just something, if you have that concern, that should be a fundamental choice for you. And you should, hopefully you'll get very good at analyzing health insurance opportunities. Um, so you can take less pay and be free from the worry of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when this bill comes due? Um, I'll never forget when Kate was sick and the insurance company was so good, they would call us every week and say, we're not requesting a bill. They would, it was, the name of the company was Fortis Benefits. And uh, they've since been subsumed into another company. And the people at Fortis called every week and said, how is Kate doing? And the first couple of calls, I didn't want to take the call because the insurance company, I'm like, okay, great. We had a long conversation about what they're doing and whether or not they approve that. This is all experimental treatment that they were doing at MD Anderson Hospital. Um, and they did that so well. They sent Kate a teddy bear six months into her her treatment and she was pretty rough straights for you know two years and uh, when she was five and at the end of her chemotherapy experience we uh, shortly before we got a, we got a letter from the benefits company and we got a call first that says i'm sorry you run out of your million dollar lifetime uh, uh benefit cap in this insurance policy and so we're going to bill you directly and because they had treated me so well the three hundred eighty-six thousand dollars we owed I paid. It took me a long time to pay it off, but I paid because they had treated me so good, I wasn't gonna say to them, well, sorry, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't worry about how much it was gonna cost. I started worrying once the insurance benefits ran out, but you know, it, it, it worked out fine. And I'll never forget the feeling I had of saying, wow, these guys are good. Uh, and I was able to focus on what was important. And if you're not considering those kind of things, folks, um, and if you're talking about pay first immediately and setting a minimum, then you're not appropriately considering all the factors to go into how you feel about the compensation package you have. Exactly. So another, uh, another job of the same type in the same area um, said, work is primar primarily in an office environment. Professional dress attire is required which is a hint to say you need to spend money on your work wardrobe. And also peri periodic weekend and evening work is expected. Now the pay was $25,000 higher a year, but you've got to ask yourself, is that is that $25,000 worth it to you that you're gonna to have to spend some of it on your wardrobe and you're gonna to have to work e evenings and weekends periodically? And who knows what periodically means? Oh, I know what periodically means, a lot. <laughs> Yeah, potentially. More than so, anybody wants to, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you'd have just gone for the number, you'd have gone, great, $25,000 more. And and if you're in a situation where you're trying to pay off debt, that might be worth it. But yeah. you've got to know what you want. Um, so the, the last one I found was um, had medical, dental, and vision plans. And I thought this was really interesting. Profit sharing in an office manager job. Uh, 401k, life insurance, paid training, a flexible spending plan, employee purchase program. So there was a lot there in terms of benefits where you might be able to go down in salary because there's a lot, you know, that profit yeah. sharing. If you know that the company has been profitable for the last 
10 years or it's in something that's, you know, in, it was in Houston. So it could be in oil, which is a, a fairly robust kind of industry. And you can probably it's going to continue to pay out and you know how much yep. it's paying out. You can easily add that to your salary. So when you're weighing up all these options, the one thing you have to consider is how much the value is to you. So like a health insurance might be worth 5000 a year, and that's what the company tells you. Oh, our health insurance plan is 5000 a year. But if you're already covered by your spouse's policy, it's worth zero to you because you're right. not going to use it. You can't have two. Um, I don't think you can have two policies at once. But Or yeah. you might know that you could get a health policy for 500 a month, and so as long as the, the offer is... 500 more than your minimum you can pay your own health insurance and then you get to choose the one you want and so you don't need health benefits from the company exactly so that again they're worth zero to you so so it's it's a very personal thing you can't say we we can't say to you right everybody pick health insurance that you should you should not accept an offer without health insurance because actually for some people it's not necessary right yeah and i think what this says is it's a personal decision and there's some analytical framework that goes into it and let's not just pick a number let's put compensation into a basket of a number of things we're going to have to estimate some of the values of things and it will depend on your particular situation and we'll put together some casts in the future about different families making different choices and why they would make the choices they do uh, and of course folks look if you have a question please come to our forums at manager-tools.com forums and ask questions of other professionals who have made these choices about why they chose company A versus company B. And there are professionals in there and managers in there who will answer your questions very forthrightly, trying to help you make a better decision or as good a decision as they did. Finally, I think the last thing we're gonna talk about is non-monetary benefits. Mm-hmm. So, so these are things that can't be easily quantified. So for example, how much is a flexible schedule worth to you or a short commute? or being able to work from home, or a company whose product you believe in, or extra vacation days. I mean, are you at a stage in your life where you wanna work in New York and you wanna work 80 hours a week and play hard, work hard, and that's what you want to do? Or are you in a, a stage in your life where picking up the kids from school every day is worth it to you? And so again, those are things that come into an offer that you wanna weigh up against the number, the salary number, you might go down in salary in order to pick up your kids every day from school. You might want to go yeah. up because that's the that's the state you want to pay off debt and you're willing to work hard for a couple of years to do that. So. Yeah, in my particular case, I've been spoiled. I haven't commuted. Everybody says, my God, your travel schedule is crazy, and it is. But I, I think of other people and the commute that they have. I have friends who live in Los Angeles who have an hour and a half commute each way. And I think that's crazy. It's three hours every day, right? To me, that's the drip, drip, drip of misery as opposed to me being on the road a lot. I'm not, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I, you know, pick your poison. And if somebody said to me, you need to live in New Jersey, but you have to commute into Manhattan, you could offer me a million dollars, but I'd say no. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, you can tell I want you to be VP of this. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> Let me just think. No. I'm sorry. Wait. wait double check. Double check. Oh, no. That's right. <laughs> I won't do it. Now, on the other hand, if I could live in Manhattan and walk to work, okay, fine. And that's me. I don't think of my, my, my situation is terribly helpful to anybody else. And your situation doesn't need to be terrible to anybody else, terribly helpful to anybody else. 
but you need to understand your situation. And to some degree, thinking as broadly as possible early in your compensation analysis um, is better for you. Um, and every single time you do it, uh, one of the things we don't have in the show notes, I'm just gonna recommend, folks, you need to keep notes because you're gonna do this again. The compensation analyses, job change analyses, uh, follow Horseman's Christmas Rule. And if you don't know what that is, Horseman's Christmas Rule says, if you enjoy the holiday season, okay, for those of us who enjoy the holiday season in the, the later part of the year, December, leading up to Christmas time and, and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, and college football, I'm kidding. And um, you enjoy that time of the year and you do a lot of things with your family and with friends and so on. And every year, the day after Christmas, you're just wiped out tired. You're a, a victim of Horseman's Christmas Rule, which says anything that you do rarely, but that is also important to you, you're gonna suck at it, okay? And, and when you do one-on-ones, when you do feedback, when you do coaching, it's the discipline of doing them on a regular basis. Okay? When you write code, uh, when you make a sales call, you're doing those every day and you get better at it and some of the anxiety drops. But if it's really important to you, like Christmas time is for many families, or a job change, but you do it rarely, you tend to be less good at learning on singular events every two or three years apart or even every one year apart. Same thing holds for annual reviews. Most people hate that period of time and it's Horseman's Christmas Rule again. It's important to you, but you don't do it often enough to learn from it, to get better at it, to invest in improving the outcome each time you experience it. Same thing's true with the job change. If you don't write down your compensation notes and refer to them later and realize the reason you chose the job you did was because of something that no one else would think of, which is the ability to pick up your kids, as Wendy mentioned earlier, you don't wanna lose that. You don't wanna go to a different job and say, wow, it's $25,000 more, and then suddenly realize you can't pick up your kids because you have a long commute, and then suddenly realize yeah, that $25,000, it does not compensate you for the emotional loss you feel about not being able to pick up your kids. Yeah. So. You need to be thinking more clearly and more broadly, and this is only the first in many casts where we'll help you understand how to think about the entire perspective of compensation analysis and choosing a company to work for. So, just give us a quick overview, Wendy. Uh, so, don't just pick a number. Um, think about what base pay you need. Think need. about need. <laughs> need. Yeah, where is your absolute bottom starting point? What are the monetary equivalent benefits worth to you? And what are the non to you exactly and what are the non-monetary benefits worth to you and yeah. often those non-monetary benefits are the ones that are really important much more than the any of the monetary ones yeah compensation guys is more than base pay learn that now knowing what's important at different stages of your life helps you be more flexible and you're going to feel better about the decision you make if you make a complete decision rather than a narrowly focused one because you think base pay is all that matters Okay. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, stay tuned. More good stuff next week on Career Tools.